you're teaching your children how to live. That's what education is. Mm. That's a, you know, it's about teaching them about God, teaching them how to get to God. It's about teaching them about family and morals and things like that. But education isn't about what's in the book altogether. That's actually the small part. Yeah. So on those days when you're chasing two and a half year olds and math doesn't get done, it won't matter. <laughs> 12 years from now, it won't matter. Yeah. Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. Hey everyone, in our last episode, I shared some exciting news, but just in case you missed it, I'm going to tell you again. Crystal and I will be presenters at the Charlotte Mason Inspired Online Conference, which will be a week of teaching and workshops given by over 20 homeschooling experts and will be held the 22nd through the 26th of June, 2020. Registration is now open and is just $17 for the entire package, which includes the recorded talks as well as some other goodies. If you're interested, please check out the link in the show notes of this episode, our webpage, or Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or check your email for an update. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's get on with today's show. Today we're joined by Susan Harnish, a longtime Charlotte Mason homeschooler and an admin of the Charlotte Mason Homeschoolers Facebook group. Today we discuss transcription, spelling and dictation, and composition. We continue to learn that narration is a part of everything in a Charlotte Mason method, and also that transcription and composition are two completely different things, which I didn't know before this. It was great to have Susan on the show today. I know I learned a lot. I was inspired, and generally I had a good time. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So enjoy the show. Tell me how this works. Let me ask you a question. How did you find Charlotte Mason? Oh, that's neat. <laughs> I, had, I had a little girl who was reading the newspaper at three. Oh, goodness. Wow. And so like, uh, that was bad. I mean, <laughs> she was emotionally very three, so it was very bad. So I found the well-trained mind, and I thought, well, this is the answer. It'll challenge her, blah, blah. Yeah, so we tried that about six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> she and I both burned out. And um, so I went looking and found Ambleside Online. They didn't even have all the years up at the time. And they didn't have a, everything was done on an email loop back in those days. Interesting. <laughs> it was old time. I remember the first time I ever heard of Simply Charlotte Mason and was like, oh, my goodness, somebody's preparing a curriculum. <laughs> the old days. So anyway, I got into it then. And it was fabulous. It was a great fit. It took a child that was very one-dimensional and it rounded her into this great person. Hmm. How old is she today? She just graduated law school wow. a couple of days ago. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's so. that's pretty awesome. It is. She's um, she's probably the 
biggest proponent of Charlotte Mason you'll ever meet. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I know that feeling. I I was I was homeschooled, not not Charlotte Mason, but I was homeschooled as a kid, and I'm I'm much the same way. I I love homeschooling. Just the best. I think it's great. Yeah. I think there's there's so many different ways to do it right. Yes. And and Charlotte Mason, I think, is one of the best ways to do it right. But there's so many ways to do homeschooling right. I agree. I don't think there's a one way. No. I don't even think there's a one Charlotte Mason way, even though I think there's a philosophy. Yeah. I think it depends on, you know... My law student had a touch of dysgraphia and didn't write for four years. Hmm. So she writes now, (laughs) but (laughs) we didn't do it exactly right. And um, I think that's okay. I think the more you understand, the more you know why she wants you to do something, which I actually, the part I chose was because of that, because Hmm. she talks about how everything goes together. Yeah. But then we take that and bring it to reality and realize that student A can do that when the book is Treadwell Primer and student B can do that, but she needs to be doing out of Pilgrim's Progress, but you're still doing CM all the way. It's just how you apply it. Yeah. And that's very true. And that's a, that's a thing that we've talked about a lot that so we, we talked with, uh, uh, Rachel Leibowitz from the the plenary, and that's one yes. of the things she was she was saying any number of times is that a Charlotte Mason a Charlotte Mason homeschool is going to be different for for one family to the other, and it's going to be different from one child to the other. Oh, definitely, and even more so, I think, like back in the olden days, yeah. we didn't have all the research. Yeah. We didn't know about all kinds of things that we know now. We knew nothing about keeping other than a nature journal yep, book of the centuries. And we had no idea what that was. <laughs> um, we all just thought it was timeline of some sort. I mean, there was a lot back then that we didn't know. So it's been really neat kind of watching CM come into her own as far as in our homeschooling communities where people know more than they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, since your daughter is now out of law school, how have you stayed connected with the Charlotte Mason community? Well, I have two little things. I am an admin on the big Charlotte Mason homeschool. Mm -hmm. So I hear from a bunch of people all the time and we have a great group of people there. I think we have 10 of us that admin. So I have 10 little voices around (laughs) and I say little there. Some of them are little, some of them are loud and that's okay. And then I write a modern Charlotte Mason, which is the CM curriculum. So I deal with my clients and consultations and things like that. And it's really neat. (laughs) It really is because I really wasn't sure where I was going to go. It didn't turn my life, you know, man (laughs) plans, God laughs. laughs) But um, (laughs) I had two daughters get, you know, leaving the nest, going to be an empty nester. My husband was working full time. And so that's what, how I got started with the curriculum. After that, <laughs> things changed. My husband's had a heart transplant and had a lot of health problems along the way. I've lost my dad and my mom. Mm. Um, his mother's living with us and isn't, not with us, but living 
on my property in her own house, but she's on hospice. And it's just been very different. I thought I'd have all this empty nest time and need something to do. Uh-huh. And what I'm finding is I'm running more than I ever did when I had kids at home. That's, oh, that's, right. uh, that, sounds, that sounds about right. And that sounds like how life goes. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and that's right. Exactly. And somebody told me the other day that it seemed like I always had something going on. And I'm like, yeah, but... If I didn't, I'd wonder what's go- what was, you know, why <laughs> did I stop living all of a sudden? Yeah. Um, what's going to get me around the corner? Like, yeah, something's coming. <laughs> I like it this way. So, so um, very cool. It is cool. I have hopes of having grandchildren that I get to homeschool one day. But we'll just see. I have a grandbaby and I have another one due in July. Oh, so, congratulations. Um, two girls. I had, yeah. And so I don't know. She's a school teacher, but she's really, she really likes the idea of homeschooling. She came into my family when she was already a senior in high school. Okay. So we didn't, you know, she didn't homeschool with me. I, I have heard many stories about school teachers yeah. having kids oh, and yes. then finding Charlotte Mason and being like, oh. So this is what it's supposed to be like. Yes. So I keep threatening to have her. She's a math teacher. Threatening to have her (laughs) write me a math curriculum. (laughs) Yeah. Not that Rachel's isn't great, but just because I think it's good to have alternatives. Oh, it's great to have options. Yeah. Yeah. I know I I did. I did one and I've got two brothers and all three of us did something different when we were were growing up. And now it should be. Yeah. What works. Yeah. I had the daughter that's a lawyer loved our island story. Hmm. The other child had nightmares and I finally <laughs> just took it off. Because <laughs> 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 I couldn't stand the lack of sleep. No, no, that's not working. <laughs> yeah. Change it. If it doesn't work. Yeah. That's funny. Well, oh. and, and that is one of the, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll just keep on plugging it, but that's one of the things I love so much about homeschooling in general, but specifically Charlotte Mason is there's just, there's so many options and it's so open-ended and and there are curricula out there. There, there are specific sets of things that you can do and you can follow and people have spent a lot of time and energy putting them together. But But that doesn't mean you have to do it that way. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to do it that way. It doesn't mean you have to do it on that schedule. It doesn't have to, it it means you you do whatever works for you. And I, I think, I think it's great. That's the best part. Yeah. Yeah, it is. All right. All right. Well, thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Uh, For (laughs) just for point of reference, we've got, we have five kids. Um, Our oldest is about to turn eight. Mm -hmm. End of the month. End of the month, so, he's going to turn. Oh, littles. Yeah. Yes. Lot, lots that. of littles. <laughs> they're yeah. they're supposedly going to sleep right now in the other room. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, so. I've, I've got the monitor here that I can see. It's not it's not audible, <laughs> but I can see it. <laughs> you can tell. So yeah, we'll go down and lay the law if they're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we're we're on the uh, the complete opposite end of the spectrum here. Is mm-hmm. we're we're just. Yeah, beginning of a journey we are well and and the interesting thing about ours is that it's a because all of the children are so close i mean the oldest is eight 
And so we go, what, uh, eight, six, four, and two and a half year old twins. Ooh, those are fun. Yeah. And so the <laughs> twins aren't. That's good to hear. Hey, right. The twins aren't quite <laughs> old great. enough to be doing. Yes like formal stuff and, and neither is the, the four-year-old they're, they're not old enough yet, but the twins also aren't quite old enough to be able to be sent off to do their own thing. No. So, because trouble emerges from that. And yes. Because there's two of them. <laughs> and messes and. Oh, I can just imagine because they can help each other get in. Oh trouble. my gosh. It's a, <laughs> yes. every, every twin thing you see on the internet, it's totally accurate. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> They do it and they just kind of, they don't even have to talk about it either. They'll be doing something and then they'll both look up, look around and they'll both stand up and, and run off to do something else. Don't like, what, do it. What, what, just, what happened? <laughs> you didn't talk. There was nothing, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a thing. So we're, we're kind of in a, we're in an interesting spot because we're, we're trying to do it with the older two, but it's, but it, it happens when it does and, and where it does, because we're, we're, we're living life with with really little ones who need very constant attention. So the one best piece of advice I got was so true. And it was you're teaching your children how to live. That's what education is. Mm. That's, a, you know, it's about teaching them about God, teaching them how to get to God. It's about teaching them about family and morals and things like that. But education isn't about what's in the book altogether. That's actually the small part. Yeah. Mm. So on those days when you're chasing two and a half year olds and math doesn't get done, <laughs> it won't matter. <laughs> Twelve years from now, it won't matter. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's that's really good to hear. <laughs> <It> so <is>. that, <laughs> I had what what do they call Irish twins where I had two that mm. were less, you know, they're close 12, together, less than two years months, apart. Yeah. yeah. And so I had a little bit of that, <laughs> but their personalities were such that they were more apart than the age. Mm -hmm. so the youngest was slow to not slow brilliance, but slow to mature. I had one that was accelerated and one that was slow. So that ended up, it was more like they were two and a half years apart, even though they really weren't. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so the, so the fun thing is with our two older ones, we find that, physically our older one is just miles beyond he's so athletically yes. gifted it's not even it's not even fair yes uh, i mean compared to compared mm -hmm. to other boys his own age yeah. he's just he's athletic as they come our daughter on the other hand who's the the younger one they're what 13 months apart 14 16 they're close um she's not as athletically gifted as he is. And so he runs circles around her all day and he yes. does somersaults and flips and sprints and climbs trees and all of those things. And she's always trying to catch up to him. But when it, when it comes to academics, she's, it's, it, it. it's, it's flipped. She's, yeah, she's, I wouldn't say she's past him right now, but, but she's working on it. <laughs> she's yeah. working on it and give her, she, she finds more enjoyment in it and takes to it much more naturally than he does. That's yeah. I that think is that's really, it. yeah. My youngest, she's changing careers now, but she's been a professional equestrian wow. for a long time, which is also, it doesn't sound athletic, but it is. Oh, it's that's super amazing. athletic. That's yeah. Um, <laughs> And when 
her sister <laughs> used to like to beat her up because she was an annoying little sister. And I told her, I'm like, look, your your big sister cannot outrun you. If she starts trying to be mean, just run a little ways. And I got to watching her in the backyard one day, and she'd run just a little ways, and then she'd stand around and wait for her sister to get caught up, <laughs> and she'd run off again. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> they were a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. I look. I wish. I wish I could see somewhere along the way. Maybe I'll meet your kids in real life because that's always fun. It is. It's yeah. always fun. <laughs> well, what I've uh, okay. been finding is that the Charlotte Mason community is fairly small, mm-hmm. and in like, in the grand scheme of things, yes. And so we'll probably run into each other at some form of conference something. or convention or mm-hmm. something. <laughs> So something I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is, that has been one fun thing. We've, we've, Crystal has managed to find a lot of people to come on our show and, and have these conversations with us. And that's something that, that, you know, we end almost every show at every show at this point going, man, it, we, we look forward to meeting you whenever <laughs> that happens. Whenever that happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have not met any CM people that I didn't really like. And that's really strange. Even people mm. I didn't necessarily know. I met Lanaya Gore, who writes a lot of Simply Charlotte Mason stuff. I met her at a conference. Didn't know who she was. She didn't know who I was. We hit it off. We were hanging out. <laughs> going to get coffee and get my tea. And then she goes, oh, you do Charlotte Mason? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> but it's just kind of like that. That's been my experience. But they're all pretty great. That doesn't mean we all get along. I'm sure everybody has something they don't necessarily agree with somebody else about, but sure. everybody's able to do it in a nice way. Yeah. <laughs> and that's good. Well, and the other the other thing that we've noticed is as Crystal's been emailing people and we've been talking to people who are, you know, mm-hmm. heads of things that are running stuff. I I don't I don't know about about you, but I know, you know, I feel like we're just we're just talking into microphones in our little pocket of the world, and I don't know if anybody would listen to us. It's just, we're doing our thing, and then we reach out to other people and you know find out that they do stuff. We're like, oh, yeah. you're you're like an important person, <laughs> but but they you know we're yeah. all just, we're all just people, and we get on we get we on the, yeah we get on the phone or on the on the call, and it's oh we're we're just people, we're just people struggling to know how to teach children <laughs> and and live Every life as, as good as we can yeah cool chapter 11 transcription yeah that's a crazy word and it took me a long time to know what it meant i couldn't ever quite understand the difference between transcription and copy work when i, I was a horrible cm student when i started <laughs> i attributed it to being sleep deprived but a valid excuse. That is a valid excuse. I could not grasp. And then when I finally did, I was like, oh, so that's how that works. So transcription is different than copy work? It is in that copy work, they, a lot of people use them interchangeably, but copy work is a, lot, a letter by letter copying. It's what you do when you teach your child to write their name. Uh, you say, this is how you make an S, and then they make an S. And okay. This is how you make a U, and you, so on. 
But then transcription is when you teach them how to spell it. You have them look at the word and memorize the word and write the whole word. Okay. So it's a difference in focus. And over time that grows to, you know, with say a year three student where they're looking at a whole sentence and internalizing the spelling and punctuation and capitalization and doing it from memory. Okay. So at that point, they've learned lots of words, lots of grammar, lots of punctuation. Some children in year three are doing that from some little reader and the sentence is the cat ran. And some kids are doing a line from Pilgrim's Progress, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. Right. You meet them where they are. You don't, you don't try to move the child to fit the curriculum, you move the curriculum to fit the child. Right. Mm-hmm. I found one of the most interesting things I found about her transcription chapter was how much detail about technical things there was. Mm-hmm. Which I was going to say, those, those technical details don't seem to be prevalent in all of these chapters about lessons. Right. There's it's a lo- just... Yeah, it's it's this one. It was there was there were one or two others where she went into very specific details and went through example lessons. Arithmetic was one of them where she went into very specific examples. A lot of the other ones are just kind of an idea about doing something. Yes. And I think that's because transcription is one of those places where everything comes together. The readings you've been doing, yeah. the lessons on how to read, the copy work, as in teaching them how to write, the beginnings of grammar and spelling, complete attention, short lesson, yeah, um, best work. There's just a lot mm-hmm. that piles in on this. There is. I also think that handwriting is a physical skill that we tend to treat as if it were a mental skill like reading. And she's making a point here that it is a physical thing that you do. Um, How you hold your pencil, Mm -hmm. whether the light is coming over your right or left shoulder Mm -hmm. is the seat of your chair. I think we're all at homeschooling guilty of this, that we don't always make sure the children are seated properly to write properly. I know I had, you know, you just throw them in a chair and say, write this. (laughs) Right, you put them at the dining room table. You know, if they're short at the dining room table, they can't do, you know, they're not in the right position. So I think she had a point. I think she did. Uh, So one thing, one thing I wanted to read her first sentence here, I think is, is kind of the primer for the whole thing. She says the earliest practice in writing proper for children of seven or eight should be not letter writing or dictation, but transcription. And, And, and that goes back to what you were saying that, that it's not just copying letters or copying yes. what someone's saying to you, but copying words and sentences. And then, and then she also said that transcription should be an introduction to spelling as well. Right. I also like the slow and beautiful work because mm-hmm. I think emphasizing that when they're doing this, they need to go slow. Yeah. Is a, that's a key. It is. Those of us who were sloppy handwriting in school, <laughs> we were rushing. Uh huh. So taking your time, having that definite time of how long it's going to last. I liked too that. Well, I have nothing against a copy workbook. 
I like that she talks about using the children's past favorite yes. things. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's not understood well why that's important. People are afraid they're not going to get enough words mm-hmm. or it's going to be too much. And, but having a child emotionally attached yeah. makes a difference in how they do. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed that she said, not the whole thing. You know, if it if, yes. they, if they love a poem, have them write just their favorite line so that mm-hmm. they don't get bored by the time they're done and, and exhausted and <laughs> it's worn not out. A drudgery. Yeah. yeah. And so they don't lose that love for that. And then the other thing is that they have the book of their own that they write all of them in and keep that book. That that I thought was yes. really yeah. a really fascinating it's idea. Powerful. And then it's, you know, it's all of the things that they love in one place. And that that yeah. works you up into adulthood. And then they'll still write down the things that they love. Yes. She was a very smart lady. Anytime you <laughs> doubt it, start reading. Yeah. Yes, she was. Um, and I did see the new handwriting book. Um, I found the fourth yes. edition, which was published in 1905. And it is available on Google Books. Really? Mm-hmm. Nice. It is, and it's also, um, I think it's on Charlotte Mason Poetry's Facebooks or website. Okay. And it's somewhere else, too. I found it like three places. I do wonder, you know, this goes into all that understanding the philosophy. And I do wonder if she would still recommend it today. You know, I see the things she liked about it, and I don't disagree. But I also know that we know now like handwriting without tears is very good for people who have difficulty Mm -hmm. handwriting. Well, I think also I didn't look this up, but I don't know when the ballpoint pen was made because she's they're they're using a pen with a nib. Yeah. Yeah. So that would change things too. Almost calligraphy when it gets to the cursive end of it later on what they did. And it's beautiful. It is. But anyway, that was just something I thought about. I'm not I don't have an answer. I'm just, I wondered when I read through it. Well, it's a question that we've asked any number of times is what would Charlotte Mason do with today? today? knowledge of today. Because not only do we have more books and not only have we studied education longer, uh, we've had, you know, we've had enough advancements in technology that we have enough free time to study random things like this, to philosophize about education so yeah. we've been able to refine those thoughts over a longer period of time and write new books and figure out new instructional methods. And then there's the internet. <laughs> and so, you yeah. know, just kind of toss that on top of everything else. And I, <laughs> truly, I, I don't know. I don't know what she would do if she were around for right now. I don't know what resources she would use. Yeah. And so I think it's like we were talking about earlier. You were saying that you'd love to have someone else write a math curriculum just to give another option out there. And I think that's one of the beauties of doing education now is that we do have so many more options. And and so it really yes. does boil down to does the does the resource or curriculum fit her philosophy? And if it does, then great. You gotta go with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're right. Anyway, that was that's <laughs> my big thought with that. I do find, you know, we get a, it gets into the small text hand and double ruled lines. I read that through three or four times and I was like, I have no idea what she's talking right? about. Right. I did the same I thing. I back 
to page, what page was it? I think it's 235 or 236, where she explained that the um, the big line, think like first grade paper, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you do for a short period of time, but then you go into another double line and you stay there a good while before going to like a college rule size. Gotcha. At least that's my interpretation, my Americanized version <laughs> of what she said. Of but I did have to look that up because it, you start hearing small text hand, but then there's also small hand, and that's something else. It. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. We don't yeah. talk about handwriting that way anymore. We don't. We don't because it, uh, for one, it's it's becoming a lost medium, and I think that's something to. Uh, is that something that we need to to protect against is that we're not I doing agree. everything on computer. There's a lot of value in written words. And and I'll say this again, this is one thing I, I like to do is even in a professional world, being able to write is hugely important because you don't always have the ability to have your computer with you. And it doesn't always mm-hmm. make sense to have a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, yes. there's a lot of times when it just makes, it makes more sense to either have a large blank sheet of paper or to have a notebook that you carry around with you that you you keep all of your your work notes in, or if you're a doctor or a lawyer who needs to make notes freehand, it, there's there's so many times when being able to write legibly and beautifully comes in yeah. handy. I work with a bunch of architects, and and a lot of the architects can write with with beauty because they're artists. And so, yes, so exactly. art is their craft. And so they know how to, they know how to make beautiful lines and beautiful words. And, and there's value in that still. And, and I think that's one of the areas that, that as homeschoolers, we can, we can, uh, we can definitely help our children along with, and that will help them later in life as they reach adulthood and as they reach careers or, or home life, or whatever it is they end up doing in their life, that's something that will help them and serve them well throughout the rest of their life. Yes. She goes on to talk about specific, again, very specific in this chapter, the mm-hmm. desks and the children's table. Um, and I found a picture of this desk by uh, Dr. Roth, and the seat went up and down, and the, the desk itself... Yeah, it looked like it would be... Went forward, back. It says it, it says it has a back pad, I saw wood. <laughs> so maybe by pad, she just means there is a back. It's not a stool. Oh, there you go. Uh, That's, ooh, pad. Yeah, it, it was not. Yeah. It was not a cushion pad. To say the least. No, it was not a cushy desk chair. No. Um, and then the desk. I I can't really picture this, but I think it's a lot like the the raised top desks that you had in old yes, time school. Except it, I think it raises in the middle. See, I don't, I, that's what it sounds like, but then you have, but a you then you have that, a line down the middle, which will mess up everything you try to do. Depending so, on how big it is. That's true. And how many, how many kids are on it. How, how, I don't know. how nicely designed it is, but even still, you're still going to have a, a seam where the two pieces of wood come down. Yeah. I don't know. But so, I thought that the fact that she mentions that the purpose is for the children to keep things neat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very important because we, I think sometimes we don't emphasize that nowadays. We're all into 
mom doing it all so it looks just right instead of the child learning to take care of their own things. Yeah. I think that's important. It is. Well, and Charlotte Mason clearly thought it was important. It was a part of her, uh, her habits. Um, yes. And I can't remember where off the top of my head, but neatness was one of the habits that she mentioned specifically that we need to train our children in. So I can see this being just another part of that training of children in the habit of neatness is having a desk that is theirs to take and keep and hold. And it's theirs to keep neat. Mm -hmm. It's almost like being in the military where you're required to keep your bunk right. (laughs) So you get in the habit of keeping your bunk right. Yes. The other thing I wanted to say was they talked about not making what your children are doing too fancified. Mm -hmm. It's talking, that's what it, when it's talking about the headlines and writing, I don't know if you've seen old books that the first letter is so. Yeah. You can't even tell what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Avoid that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, cause, cause there is a place for art and, and beautifying and fancifying things. This isn't necessarily it. Yeah. Right. Not with the child. Right. That's learning. Chapter 12, Spelling and Dictation. This I thought was really interesting. Is that she's talked she's talked about spelling several times already. She talked about spelling when reading. She's talked about mm-hmm. spelling for transcription and now she's talking to she's talking about spelling again. But now it's a now it's in the light of dictation. Right. Which which is which is interesting to me. And again, she doesn't pull punches. She is not a fan of how dictation is done. She is not. And she also says, too, that people are so I get the feeling she's a little exasperated with people are slow to understand that there is no part of a child's work at school, which some philosophic principle does not underlie. You like that too? Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. It's it's one of those it's one of those smart uh, smart burns. Everything yes. is connected. How can you not understand this? <laughs> Everything yeah. is related. It yeah. all falls together. So I love that she gives this like burning example of how to be wrong. Yeah. She does that a lot. Yeah. She's, I have a feeling she was a fiery little woman. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. But it does, you know, it talks about how people are doing it so as to imprint poor spelling into the brain. Yeah. Well, and I, I still have some words that are this way where I'm like, is it this way or this way? Message. Yes. Is it an A mm-hmm. or an E in the middle? And I just. I have a few of those myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, um, I'm wondering if this happened when I was growing up, where I just kept, and now I don't know. Yeah, it could, it could have, it could have. Spelling, I had a teacher that did the thing where if you wrote it wrong, you had to say, "Don't write this, write this." Oh, so you had to write both ways. Yeah, it was awful, and she did more to hurt my spelling than anybody. Otherwise, she was a great teacher. That's the only thing she did that really, but. It hurt. It took me a while to get over it. I don't mean like hurt my feelings, but it hurt my ability. Yeah, hmm. I believe it. Well, and spell. So this is one thing that that throws me for a loop with the, the English language in general. Is spelling in English is ridiculous, especially when yes. she was writing. There, there still was uh, various right ways to spell words. 
Plus, there's the whole British English. Right. British to English or Canadian. <laughs> or I, I know that uh, New Zealand and Australia, they, they both spell words differently. So, yeah. you know, it's not like Spanish or French no. or Italian where the words are how they sound. And that's that. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. That's not it. So where she goes next is the rationale of spelling here. And, and I like it. She says the gift of spelling. She says the gift of spelling depends upon the power the eye possesses to take, in a photographic sense, a detailed picture of a word. And this is a power and habit which must be cultivated in children from the first. She's saying that we learn to spell by learning what the word looks like Mm -hmm. and taking a mental picture of the word and then reproducing that picture. So she's not talking about phonetic spelling. She's not talking about sounding words out. She's talking about just memorizing the words mm-hmm. and yes. knowing them. And I think the the phonics and all that, you learn some of that when you're learning to read. Yeah. And you and you apply some of that as you're learning to spell in your head. You go, yeah, that that but just like you don't decode what you're reading by going through all the phonics rules mm-hmm. in a word, a lot of it just kind of is organic. It yeah. just, the whole thing takes over. And I think spelling is like that. You look at the word and you go, the word looks like this. You close your eyes. You go, ah, yes. Yeah, that's right. Suddenly it's there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? And it, and it never leaves. And no, it never changes. No. So it's there. Yeah. That's one of the things when people say they're having trouble with spelling, I ask them about taking a mental picture. And some people, I found this out recently, (laughs) some people don't have a picture in their head. Hmm. I don't know that I do. Adults, a lot of adults don't. I don't. I like when I read a book, I see a movie in my head. Yeah. And some people don't. And I was just, so I think that this is a skill from what I understand, this is a skill you can learn. Some people it's natural. Some people it's not. Right. So anyway, it's a thought. I actually do see a picture of a word when I spell something in my head. Interesting. I mean, I see a picture in my head when I spell something. Um, One of my children did. One of my children never did. They both spelled very well. The one that didn't, verbally spelled the word in her head. She knew what it what the like C-A-T. She had a okay. mental recording of C-A-T. Instead of the mental she picture. Instead of a mental picture. Huh. But that worked for her. You know, we were talking about, she's the one that was dysgraphic. And I think it has to do with the way her brain worked. Yeah. She was runner up to the state homeschool spelling bee. So she could spell. Nice. She just couldn't do it the other way. Hmm. Which, I mean, again, that lane, that lends credence to whatever works for the specific child. child. Yeah. Because yeah. again, it is still having a, having a mental picture, but whether the picture is a, is a picture or it's a, it's an, a, audio, sp- run. an audio recording in your head. I mean. But I make sure that they understand that that, supposed to be in their head and stay in their head yeah and how they get there you may have to play with it a little bit that's interesting that's been my experience <laughs> yeah i also think 
big words and little words are equally are not as there's not as much difference in learning to spell them as people think. Once you understand how to look at a word and make the mental picture, it doesn't matter how big the word is. Right. Especially for children whose ability to to learn and memorize is phenomenal. Much higher than those of us. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that goes back to what she was saying about reading. You know, give them something interesting. You know, talk about the Red Robin as opposed to Mm -hmm. Jack sat on the mat. And, yes. And they have a harder time reading that than they do Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. This longer, more interesting word yeah. will mm-hmm. stick with them more and I guess stick with them spelling wise more as well yes. than something uh, that you would think would be simple. The bigger the vocabulary, yeah. I think, the better. Well, you know, and what they're reading. Yeah. I don't mean it has to be big words because it's it is easier if they're not quite huge. When they're <laughs> like like th- Thermopylae. <laughs> yeah, Thermopylae is not a first grade word. <laughs> I, I will say, and and this is something my mom told me on a regular basis is I hated reading as a kid, and I, mm-hmm. I remember that. What got me to start reading was Calvin and Hobbes, and reading Calvin and Hobbes comic strips. And there are a bunch of big words in that in that strip. There are. He he used uh, he, he used language that was far beyond the level of of a Humor. child. Uh, <laughs> yes. So it was. So I was able to read and understand that even at a young age because it was fun and it was interesting and I loved it. And I think finding making readers is a big part of that is finding the right material yeah, to light the fire. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. All right. So then she moves on to what you should do in a dictation lesson. Which I thought this was fascinating. How dictation lessons conducted in some such a way, such way as the following usually result in good spelling. I like that. Usually. Sometimes this doesn't work all the time, but you say so. Kids need a specific spelling program. A lot of people don't realize that, but she, but she wants you to get through a year of dictation before she kind of says, "All right, he can't spell. Let's do something different." Uh huh. That was me. That was me. I was. I was that kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find one of the biggest mistakes I see with studying dictation is that people have a 12 year old learning a paragraph and for it to work really well, you need some volume to what you have. I and mean, it's fun to start with a paragraph with a young child, mm-hmm. but increasing the volume that they're learning is important. She says here specifically a child of eight or nine prepares the paragraph, older children, a page or two or three. <laughs> yes. I usually say they do three when they get, you know, by the time they're, before they quit, they ought to do three pages. What do you mean by prepare a page or paragraph? And that we're going there next. She talks about a child prepares himself by looking at the word he's not sure of and seeing it with, you know, the photographic thing and studying where the punctuation is and the, all of that. And when I did this, I allotted 10 minutes, which I think is what she had allotted. Yeah. And then about half the time, my student was like, I'm not ready yet. 
And I was like, okay, we'll do it tomorrow. So with my, the way when you read it, it made me, oops, made me think that you studied those three pages and then did dictation that very day. In my reality, I found that my kids generally needed a day or two studying before they were ready for me to dictate. I also, after I read it later, realized you don't have to read the entire passage. She never says you have to dictate the whole three pages. She says they prepare three pages. You dictate what they can write in about 10 minutes. Interesting. When I learned that, it's really helpful for a child that's maybe not quite up to grade level because you can have them study all the hard stuff. But you want them to be successful so you can choose the paragraph that they can do to dictate. Right. So there's a lot more wiggle room in there than I realized when I first started doing studied dictation. And I don't think you have to wait two or three days. I think you just have to wait till the child knows, feels confident. Mm -hmm. Which, depending on the passage, could be right away. Yes. A lot of times early on it was right away. Yeah. But as the... The passages got harder and longer. It seemed to take longer. I also think this is a strong statement as to, because you're supposed to be getting this from your school books, that school books should not be too hard. Because I know there are some people that think you need to, they need to all be really struggling and kind of right out of reach. And I think you ought to have some like that. But I don't think everything should be that hard. I think some of it should be at a level that maybe the idea is complex, but the language is not sure. Or maybe it's right at level just to give them a mental break reading that particular book that day. Little Duke is a great book, but it's very tough in about year three or so. Year six does it easily, but in year three, it's a struggle. I still think it's valuable there. But on the day I read that, I want the next book to be easy. Okay. That makes sense. So have a balance of stretch books and at-your-level books and maybe even some easier so that you right. can balance those out throughout the day. And it, it eliminates a lot of fatigue and increases the attention because they're able to attend. Well, I'll say, uh, just as, as a personal anecdote, uh, we're reading through two books right now. Crystal's reading through an older uh, Robin Hood book with the children, which uses old English language, you know, these and thys and thous. And <laughs> it's, it's pretty intense. And then I'm reading uh, Redwall, which is... Oh, I love Redwall too. Yeah. And, and and so Redwall is much more visual. It still has some pretty big words. Yes. But it's so much easier. And it's long. It's a very long book. I, it surprised <laughs> me. You're doing Robin Hood Pile. Yes. Is it by Pile? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a very good idea of what I'm talking about. They're yeah. both good, mm-hmm. but they're perfect together. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> one is a push and one is a little bit yeah. easier. And then and then we also have simpler books that we'll throw in just, you know, for, for fun reading. That's that, what we're reading. That are, that are just easy books that are fun to read through, that are, that are fun. That, yeah. that I think I think that that maintains the idea that reading is enjoyable and you can sit down and you can read an easy book mm-hmm. and just have fun reading it 
or you can really stretch yourself and have fun reading it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes I think about C.S. Lewis because some of his books for adults think the four loves type, you know, those books, the language is easy. Yeah. The ideas are not easy. Right. So those books are a perfect example of the simple language for the ideas you might have trouble grappling with. Yeah. Um, so that your brain is not stretched in both directions at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which can be a big problem when you're dealing with really complex thoughts is to have complex words explaining them. Yes. Which was, which was, I will say, one of the, one of the, one of the struggles that I know I had starting to get into reading Charlotte Mason is that her style of writing and her language was such that I had trouble just reading it. And, and as I, as we progressed through reading the books, it's become easier and easier because Mm -hmm. I'm used to her language and her writing style. I like to talk, I think it's, Adler may have turned me onto this idea, but they talk about that a book will teach you how to read it. Yeah. And I used to tell my children when they were having trouble with the book at the beginning, I said, you know, give it a couple of chapters and you can kind of learn to speak the language. And to a degree, it's like that. The more you you read it, whichever book it is, the more the language and all just kind of holistically, it becomes easier, even though it's really not easier and you're not really smart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you, you, you adapt to it. You you, yeah. you adapt to it and and learn that language and learn that that syntax and, yeah. and figure out what yes. to do with it. Which is why it's fun to read multiple books by the same author, because you don't yes. have to do that as much. Oh, you are so right. Um, she <laughs> talked about using stamp paper to put over the wrong word. I wanted to talk about that. I I use post its because you know we got them now, right? That sounds like stamp paper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But this was something that I hear a lot of parents saying their children fight them with because they Uh, feel like having mom standing there putting something on top of what they're writing is discouraging or upsetting. But I kind of read this to my kids and explained to them why we were doing it. And they were all like, oh, okay. Well, so again, I said, have you explained it to the student? Right, yet? right. It goes back to to that children are persons, and that, yes. that their sensibilities matter. Yes, and and also she talked about it earlier in this book as well. She talked about uh, having the student be a part of their own education and know why they're doing what they're doing. Well, e- even this next line: a lesson of this kind secures the hearty cooperation of children who feel that they take their due part in it. Yeah. So it's it's right here. So, she agrees. <laughs> I know. So question, would like the the roll-on whiteout, would that kind of be the same idea? I feel like it yeah, would Yeah, that's what they used to use when I was a, first starting. They Everybody used whiteout. And then post-its came out as far as they were, when they first came out, they were really expensive. But they got where they weren't. And so we used those. We just stick one over whatever we were doing. But the whiteout works just the same. Okay. I just feel like a post-it would be huge. Did you like cut it down or? I like those little ones like this size. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> gone to the store and looked at post-its <laughs> in a long time. 
So. I also have flags, which I should have brought said earlier when I'm. Oh, we got to go back to copy work in a minute and talk about flags. That's <laughs> <laughs> fun. But let's finish this first. All right. And um, well, illiterate one spelling. Of the, oh, go ahead. All right. I was going to say exactly the, what you're talking about. It talks about people think that a lot of CM people think it's because you're not reading that you can't spell but it can be a really quick, fluent reader that isn't mm-hmm. taking time to pay attention to the words. Yeah, that that's Crystal all day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll I'll read a book, and you know they have we we read a lot of fantasy together or separately yeah. together, and so yeah. I skip over the names of the people she and does. don't try to pronounce them in my head. It kills me. And then I tell John and I like talk to him about it, and he's like, "You're talking about who?" Uh, what what's that person's name and it's so <laughs> so totally wrong yeah even it even happens when we're listening to books because yes. we also do a lot of audiobooks she'll do the same thing like well i don't know what the person's name is you've been hearing it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the it could be sparse reading or hasty reading without the habit of seeing the words which is goes back to the habit of attention. Mm-hmm. And it, she also talks about us, um, oh goodness, training to visualize in the course of their reading. So you kind of have, it's a, it's a learned skill. Yeah. That when you're reading, you stop and take pictures of the words that are difficult. Even, even okay. writing the difficult names on a blackboard and then rubbing yeah. it out once they know it. Yeah. And honestly, when my kids were first doing narration, I don't know. I always wrote things like that out because I wanted them to focus on their ideas getting on the paper rather than the spelling. Yeah. Oh. So, because my kids were kind of funny about wanting to do it right. So, yeah. With uh, when choosing transcription and dictation passages, I kept little post it flags. Again, with the post-its, I, don't, <laughs> I have a thing for office supplies. But <laughs> when we'd read and I'd notice a child was really involved with something, I'd throw a flag on it. And then about once a week, I'd go to uh, go online and type out my my uh, models for them to use for copy work. Oh, and nice. Okay. So that's just an idea that makes it a lot people worry that it's so hard for them to decide and stuff you can but in the early years this kind of time a lot of times you're there you can yeah say they really like it yeah okay so that's just making life easy yeah no i I really like that (laughs) especially with how how easy it is to to find those little post-it note flags uh, like the little sign here stickers and mm-hmm. yes. things like that and they come on out of the book really easily and yeah. don't do damage that's the the reason i like those yeah okay here she goes here goes uh <laughs> cm going off on somebody again right Com- composition and i love it <laughs> i love that so she so she starts talking about composition here and she tells a little story Mm-hmm. And the story. So John doesn't do research, and I had to look this up. Yeah, go for it. This is from a book, the book Vanity Fair. Oh, really? So, yeah. Huh. So it's a story from a book. Nice. Okay. It's a story about an essay from a character in the book. Yes. In a book. 
<laughs> layer <laughs> upon layer more. upon layer. How many walls are we yes. breaking? <laughs> I know, and it's, he's writing about the Iliad. I oh, mean, goodness. I remember, Another layer. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain broken? So, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, and all's kind of... Wow. All right. This is where she's showing off about... I guess she's showing... <laughs> you aren't too smart, people. Right? But she talks about... This guy, the she tells a little story, and the the guy's mom is so impressed, and but she feels like it's a travesty because what she feels like what he's done is he's heard little snatches of things people have said about the topic, yeah. and he just smashed them all together and called them a composition. Hmm. But he's too young, and he doesn't have enough information to do original writing. Yeah. She says, uh, it, uh, let's see a worse moral injury happens to him in that having no thoughts of his own to offer on the subject, he puts together such tags of commonplace thought as have come his way. And he offers the whole as his composition, an effort, which puts strain upon his conscience where it piques his vanity. So just like you said, he's taking, he's taking everyone else's ideas and just kind of mushing them all together. And he knows it's wrong, but everybody goes, "Oh, you're so smart." Right. Yeah. And it's it's a it's an awful lesson. And um, so I am, I think that it is a huge problem today, and I think it's because the way our school systems are set up with them having to write so much so young, you know, even in kindergarten they want them composing. Huh. That homeschoolers have a hard time letting go of having their children do a composition program early in life. Right. And they don't just want to let it go. They want it very much. I, I was thought of two different writing programs to market today. When you read through her lessons in composition, where it says they're talking about the umbrella thing, mm-hmm. but there's two companies right now that do something very similar. But you can raise good writers without a composition program. Yeah. I think that you have to teach formats at some point. Yeah. I know when I was in school, I did, I did something similar, uh, similar to this where we took passages bit by bit and we, you know, we read something and we made an outline of that something and then we wrote it again. And so it was a process of learning how to write, how to, how to, how to compose by, by recomposing other people's writings. How to write by studying something. And and that, that helped me a lot. And it also helped me learn how to write an outline and how to, how to format a paragraph. And, And then you take those thoughts and you apply them to everything and anything else to the point that I, I write pretty easily now. And it was simple to go through college and write college essays because I just, I knew how to write because I learned in, in middle school and high school. Yes. And I, you know, they hit year four and start doing written narrations. And at that point they're not doing original composition, but they're learning to get thought to paper. Right. And that's different than asking them to come up with original thought. Yeah. And now this is the reason she doesn't do literary analysis at this age either. 
I find that, what is it she says that that is the right work of the mind? The proper function of the mind of the young scholar is to collect material for the generalizations of afterlife. Hmm. That is back up the first paragraph under an educational futility. futility. I think that's true. I think that the whole problem, the reason writing stinks is we're asking them to do it before they formed a voice. Yeah. But if we raise them and teach them at some point, they do get a voice. And when the voice comes and they start writing, then what they write is amazing. It is. Well, and the other thing is at this point, we've talked about them, children doing narration. And so they've already had that practice of reading something and then saying it back in their own voice. So they're practicing formulating their own thoughts. It's just the the next yes. step. And that that's a hard step to take of of just saying things to then taking the time to meticulously write down those things. Because most of us can write can can talk yes. and think a lot faster than we can write. So writing can become tedious. And I don't recall ever reading this from Sam, but some Sam mom years ago told me when they hit year four and start doing written narrations, teach them to type. Uh, Of course, back then we still had, (laughs) it was more (laughs) typing. People still type some. Right. But we taught, I did. What we found is that a lot of times a child can type a lot faster than they can write. So the words come out much better, especially if you've got a kid with dysgraphia. Well, and it, it's taking those barriers away where their mind is at one level and their physical ability is at another. Same, same with reading at early ages where right. they can grasp and understand a story so much better than they can actually physically read it. So you read to them until they catch up. And then same with writing. Yes. You, you allow them to talk or type right. or, or do it do it for them until they can do it until their, their yeah. levels balance out. And that happens at a different point for different children. Balance. Yes. Yeah. So, and I love, exactly. I love what she ends with. Our business is to provide children with material in their lessons and leave the handling of such material to themselves. If we, if we would believe it, <laughs> composition is as natural as jumping and running to children who have been allowed due use of books. They should narrate in the first place, and they will compose later readily enough, but they should not be taught composition. It is, like I say, I, I do teach formats. I think you've got to teach in what an essay looks like and yeah. what a research paper and end notes and things like that, a letter. Yeah. But you don't teach them how to write. No. This is something we I grew up with when I was in school was the five paragraph essay. You know, you have your your prescription of how to do it. You know, your introduction, oh, yeah. your three supporting paragraphs, and your conclusion. Uh-huh. And you have to use that exact format when you write an essay. Yep. So that person should be shot. <laughs> and then you get to college and they're like, don't do that. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That is, the, I should say, I do find it, it was constructed for high school. And then you get to college and they're like, oh, that's just not inspired. 
<laughs> but kids can change. Yeah. 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 What they wrote or how they write. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you could join us. Uh, real quick before we go, Susan, could you tell our listeners where they can find you uh on the probably on the internet, uh a, a website or or Instagram or or anything like that? I do. I have my Instagram is very neglected. So we're <laughs> going to go with my website is www.moderncharlottemason.com and do write the A. Yeah. Well, Susan, it's been it's been a pleasure. All right. Y'all have a good night. <laughs> you too. You too. Thanks, Susan. Thanks for listening. Don't forget about the Charlotte Mason Inspired Online Conference. If you're interested in attending, please find info at any of our social media places, our website, or our emails. We hope to see you there.